Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate Thurston. Across from me is Charles Chuck Thompson and our very first in-studio guest. Before we've even finished the studio, but but it's okay. We still let him in. Is Mr. Rob Chatfield, CEO of Free to Choose. How are you doing today, Rob? Wonderful, Nate. And I'm so happy that I made you actually do work to get the studio <laughs> ready true. so that you could actually have a podcast today. If you weren't coming today, honestly, this would not be put together yet at all. So it's very true. It looks I've, great, by the way. I recommend highly to anybody coming through Nashville that they need to come here and do this podcast. Good. I forced them. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said, Nate, this must be completed. Because Rob is coming in yeah. town. Yeah. So speaking That's how of, important you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Nashville, how's that uh, been treating you so far? I, it's, uh, and I had told you guys before I got out here, I haven't been to Nashville in over 15 years. And it is a different town than when I was here last. I could not get my bearings for about a day and a half. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, we've been here for 11 years now, and it is very, very different from the time that we moved here. It's a completely different city. I used to consider Nashville a big town. Um, Like, I was like, oh, I live in a pretty big town. And now, especially 15 years ago, I mean, Nashville was a big town. Right. Now, it's... uh, it's Atlanta Junior. I, I would I, say I had noted that uh, I used to do uh, uh, some uh, summer courses at Vanderbilt uh, with a, in the banking industry, and that I could walk from the downtown up to Vanderbilt, uh, and it was easy to do. Now I can't do that because there's too many bars in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it takes way too long now. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know we've done a, quite a few interviews here. Everyone, everyone uh, will remember the epic debate. Epic debate about corporate welfare that we had last time. I've still got some secret questions for that that we're going to be busting out here in a bit. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, I bet I, you're not ready for them. They're gotcha questions. I will tell yeah. you, though, that uh, we did release it, uh, public television, August 28th. Uh, it was on most stations September 5th or 6th, and uh, over 10,000 views on YouTube as of today. Nice. So. Good. And That's you said awesome. you were also going, you know, people in Memphis really, really liked it a lot, right? Yeah, we had the uh, Beacon Center uh, did a uh, online uh, a crowdcast uh, with the uh, mayor of Memphis and also a, a journalist and newspaper columnist down there. And uh, uh, it's amazing. This is an issue that really strikes a chord across party lines. There's nobody that thinks, oh, my gosh, we should give away taxpayer money to, <laughs> to, to support uh, big business. Except for except for us, we're we're the only people that actually that actually think that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I quite phrase it that way though. <laughs> giving mm-hmm. away, I just that, wish the government didn't have the taxpayer money to yeah. decide mm-hmm. whether or not to give it out. That's that's my only problem. So Rob's operating in the real world, and we're operating in this fictional land where the government doesn't take our money. But that's why we can continue discussing this thing year after year. Yeah, it's. A, do you think it's actually gonna? change sometime i have a uh, uh, high hope so we have a uh, screening that's going to happen in chicago at the end of this month and uh there's a bunch of activists that are going to attend this sc- screening and the key there is in chicago and in the film the story we used was the uh, tax increment financing where literally it's supposed to be well there's blighted areas and you want to encourage development there but they don't they take the money and they encourage the development on the waterfront they build uh, condos as i said and there's people out there that are really angry at that and if we can get some momentum to have some change in the Chicago TIF process, I think that's a huge victory for the film. So it's actually uh, pretty cool. You're probably working with people on both sides of the aisle on that, right? So yeah. this is something that a lot of people can agree on. Yeah, as I said, there's the the only people defending this are the people actually receiving the subsidy. Yeah. Period. <laughs> That's a disclaimer, true. we're not receiving any subsidy whatsoever. <laughs> but we'll we're take just, one. If someone wants to give us one. That's fine. I might take him out to lunch today, though. So. Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, so it's Constitution Day, by the way. I don't know if anyone remembers what the Constitution is, but it's a super old document uh, written by a bunch of racists that... Um, that is completely irrelevant these days, right? That's is that pretty much what it is. They they weren't perfect people. I want to throw that part in, um, but uh, they were great students of history, and they understood the concept that if you present a framework of government that pits ambition against ambition, it's probably the best chance we have of keeping our own individual freedom. Well, and what I think they did is they were like, we can't change human nature because this is millions they they probably didn't know how long back they might have probably i think if it lasted 30 years they would have been ecstatic right they were like <laughs> we can't change human nature because by bi- biology is you know whatever so what can we develop using this human nature that we can't change and they they developed the best system of a government that we have so far and uh 
again, they weren't perfect. Obviously, we have the the three fifths clause and all of that, and uh, and you can make arguments, you know. But at the same time, the ideas and the principles and the foundation that they laid is literally the best setup for human to organize human society. Uh, ever. I think the one that's missing today in the debate that we're going to try to elevate again is the concept that the states were the check and balance against the federal government. Mm -hmm. And that, is, I think, is what we've been seeing lately is it's just this giant, huge, everybody's turned into the federal government now in terms of the guidance, et cetera. When, uh, uh, and again, I won't get so political because we always try to avoid those types of debates <laughs> there. But, you know, when you start looking for loopholes within the OSHA requirements of how you can implement something as a national policy, you, you already know you're overstepping your boundary. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to cut in here and tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. You've heard us talk about them before. It's Charlie's favorite app, BetterHelp. You can go to betterhelp.com or you can download the app. BetterHelp is this great app that pairs you with a licensed therapist. So it's therapy over your phone. All right. If you are having a tough time getting by right now. Maybe you're dealing with anxiety. Maybe you're just not as happy as you think you should be. Maybe you're not finding the meaning in life. You know, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Maybe you're not finding that meaning in your life that you think that you should be. If you're dealing with anxiety, with depression, with relationship problems, BetterHelp has got a licensed therapist for you. It's super simple. You just go to the website, betterhelp.com GML, and that's going to give you 10% off your first month, by the way. So you go to betterhelp.com slash GML, you make an account, they ask you some questions about yourself, some preferential questions, and they're going to pair you with a therapist that they think will work best for you. If you don't want that therapist, that's fine. You just pick another one, okay? It's safe, it's secure, it's a way to actually talk to a therapist without having to go into the office much cheaper than going into the office, by the way. Listen. Taking care of your brain, of your mental health, is super important. I don't know if you know this, but your brain controls everything that you do. Okay, so maybe it would help you to be talking to someone about it. You can message through the app. You can do video call. You can do voice calls. All kinds of stuff with the BetterHelp app. So go get that app. Make sure you sign up through betterhelp.com GML to get that 10% off your first month you tell them we said, hey. Yeah, how many federal agencies did they create when they wrote the Constitution? Were there a lot of different agencies in there? It was a tough call back then when they had, <laughs> uh, uh, the president didn't even have a staff. Wow. Um, uh, the, the reason Is that I because up, George Washington was so tyrannical? He didn't want to listen to anybody yeah, else? That's how much of a dictator he was. <laughs> he couldn't have anyone else around him. The reason I brought up, I made the joke about the bunch of old racists, because I feel like there's been a... There's been a push for a long time, even since we were kids, to basically disregard the Constitution because you, the people who wrote it were just terrible, and so we don't need to pay attention to it. And so I, I do think it's really important to realize, like what you said, that they weren't perfect. Like what Charlie said, the principles were lined up. Maybe they didn't live up to them perfectly at that time, but it did build the framework for the best organized society that it, there's been. And, and they weren't Klansmen. You know, they, yeah. that didn't yeah. exist back then. So yeah. you got to give them some credit. And interestingly enough, they were all around our age. Yeah, that's true. From Ben Franklin to Thomas Jefferson. Uh, that's they, that's maybe a knock against the whole thing. I don't know, because I can't imagine writing the Constitution. I think you know? he just called me old like I was Ben Franklin. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I was just saying it's interesting that, yeah. you know, we can sit here and have a conversation and, you know, we're doing a podcast and they were writing the framework to, to the United States the same age. Uh, so I was going to ask you a couple things, uh, what you thought the best and worst parts of the uh, Constitution were. We'll start, you mentioned basically the 10th Amendment a second. I think that that's one that we really, really need to pay attention to, especially with what's going on right now. Do you think that that's, maybe, maybe they realized that we couldn't have one giant government and that everyone would be happy under that government? Like we needed to have, we've always said, I've got an idea to fix our problem. What if we separated the United States, just split it up into like 50 different pieces, and then each one of those 50 pieces could kind of run their thing? We'll make sure that they don't hurt people, that they don't take away people's liberties, but 
But um, isn't it better to have all of these separate state governments than to have one giant federal government running everything? I, I was talking to a guy named uh, Michael Maybach who uh, runs a place called Save Our States about the Electoral College. And that was one of his components there is, is if you're looking at democracy, what's more democratic than having 50 different elections for president? Yeah. than to have one nationwide election, if you will. And again, the concept of the states being the check and balance against the federal government, I think has been lost because everything now seems to be run from the national political parties. So when you look at the states, they all walk in lockstep uh, with regards to whatever the national party wants to do. It's pretty easy for them to walk in. They kind of have to sometimes because they take money and then they'll say, we only give this back to you if you do what we want you to do. And that's, uh, I don't think that that's exactly the way it was supposed to work. But I don't think it was supposed to also be, oh, all the Republican governors are going to do this and all the Democratic governors are going to do that. They were supposed to always be laboratories. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to ask about that you mentioned in that was basically the electoral caller. We have 50 different states electing the president, right? So... Could you give me a little bit of a rundown on why you think the Electoral College would be a better idea than just a straight-up Democratic vote for the entire country? I, I actually going to take that one step further, which is that Nebraska and Maine split their electoral votes. So uh, where I live in the state of Maine, we have four electoral votes. There's a Southern District for a congressperson, a Northern District for a congressperson, and then the two senators, if you will. So the two senators essentially get a statewide vote, and then each district gets their own vote. Well, Donald Trump won one of the electoral votes there. So Maine actually splits its vote. And can you imagine what the voting maps would look like if we actually split this like every single state did? But instead, the states all went for this winner-take-all concept because they thought, oh, this will make it more important for the candidates to come to our state mm -hmm. to campaign. But what we found was is that, uh, uh, and again, I'm not a shill for Trump ever, by the way, <laughs> but you know, Donald Trump actually went to the second district of Maine to campaign. Nobody would go there otherwise. I live there. I don't go there. Yeah. Um, but that concept being is that you'd have to get closer to the people. And I think that that's something that actually should be taken a look at is, is the whole concept of the winner take all in each state. Maybe, uh, maybe we should look at that. How do they split that up when they when they do that? Because uh, what I would, what my mind would automatically assume there is once you decide you're going to split it up, then you are going further down to a Democratic vote then at that mm -hmm. time and getting closer to something that we maybe don't want. But like you just said, uh, Trump would have never gone to that district in Maine. And, and vice versa, by the way, in Nebraska, Biden won a vote. Yeah. And as I said, so it wasn't like, oh my gosh, that was, you know, in favor of the Republican. Uh, you know, Nebraska was in favor of the Democrat. And so, as I said, I, I think that that concept is one where, again, the if you look at what the Electoral College is, it's supposed to be representative of all the representatives and senators. And so maybe you do that. You say, all right, we're going to have two statewide votes, but everything else is going to be local, regional. What uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think are some of the worst parts that of the Constitution or what's happened to the Constitution? Uh, say some, you know, one thing we mentioned this the senators. One of my least favorite things is the fact that the senators used to be picked by the states and not by not by a majority vote. And so I don't know anything like that where you think we've gotten it wrong, changing things up. So uh, Judge Douglas Ginsburg, who did our uh, was the host of our three hour series, a more or less perfect union on the Constitution. He says that is the worst thing that ever happened, because then the candidates became beholden to the national party and not to their state. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> I think the which is the 17th Amendment, right, uh, I believe is when they You're change much better than i am i think it's 17 yes yeah, so the 16th and 17th amendment to me are the 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 two worst that, that was the uh, income tax was the 16th <laughs> amendment and then the 17th amendment which was a direct election of the senators rather than being chosen by the state legislatures and see what i think the founders were very intelligent in setting this up because it was a mixture between um states rights and uh kind of like the i i, I would guess more similar to how the European Union is set up, where you have the actual separate sovereign countries, uh, the founders viewed the states as sovereign states, as they had the they had a lot more power than what the federal government did. Uh, but what we learned in government and in uh, about the Constitution was the whole supremacy clause, mm -hmm. and and I think that's that's where things have really shifted. Where if you ask an, an average everyday person, like. Who reigns supreme, the federal government or the state government? And almost everyone will answer the federal government. And that's, in fact, uh, not true today as the way the laws are written, actually. Uh, and it wasn't true then. And so um, besides education, I mean, what, what else can we do to uh, reframe and, and get back to the 
I would say the basics of what made this country so great to begin with. I, I see it really, yeah, you hit on it though. As I said, being able to actually name the number of the amendment, if you will, that you were talking <laughs> about, and people don't even know what the constitution is. Uh, uh, there was a uh, statement from somebody in the Biden administration. Uh, I'm going to have to paraphrase this because I can't quote it exactly, which was essentially, uh, you don't have the right to interstate travel. That's not in the Constitution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, well, no, you you have, you know, there's lots of rights that aren't expressly written in the Constitution because it's supposed to be a document that prevents the government from doing stuff to us, not granting us permissions to do. And I think having that basic understanding is completely missing right now in education. That, that, well, and that's because back then they didn't have computers and stuff, so they had to write this down on parchment paper. And they were like, okay, do we write out all the rights that people have or do we write what the federal government can't do? And that's TJ was like, man, it would take me forever to write all this out. I'll probably die before then. So let's just reverse that and tell the federal government what they can't do. But they also didn't have interstates. Yeah. So, I mean, how are they going to write that in there? You had a right to, to travel. Yeah, I can't remember who it was that was mentioning that, but the, it is... Well, one thing they're mentioning it with air travel right now, and of course, when we have the FAA, we, we allow all these agencies, you know, they'll be able to say, we have purview to be able to, to do this. The TSA. And we have the TSA also, so Homeland they'll, Security. they'll be able to do that. And uh, do you think, what agencies, what agencies would you keep? I was going to ask you about an answer that uh, Milton Friedman gave one time uh, about about this. I don't know if you've seen the video where I, they run through and ask him which, which agency mm-hmm. or which department he would keep. And what was interesting when they got to the CDC, uh, he said yes, he would he would keep the CDC. And so was, was it the CDC or was it the Health and Human Services? Well, he he was talking Health and Human Services CDC. Yes. He said that they wouldn't uh, give grants to people to do studies, things like that. But that there was there was room for the federal government to do things in in protecting people uh, when there was a an, an illness going around, a pandemic, which. Uh, was a relevant video for us to post on our TikTok a little while back. I, I uh, Department of Defense, I think I might keep around. That's, yeah, that's probably maybe. a good yeah, one, okay. right? I, yeah. I, I'd probably hit that one still there. And I think would uh, you audit them though? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. If I, it depends if I'm selling them a tire or not. You know, <laughs> yeah. but the uh, uh, I, I I'm far I'm hard pressed in terms of going on there. And what Milton's talking about also is is yeah, you know, if you had a central source that was reputable and trusted that could actually help manage something that was a national disease. Uh, well, th- this obviously has shown that we don't have that at all. No, that part of the CDC's name it, it ends with and prevention. That's a, a we don't we don't really say that. We, I think we should call them the CDCP. I think that would that would go better. But they mm-hmm. they've ignored the prevention part. We could make a big case for the fact that they failed miserably over the last couple of years, uh, especially the misleading the public line, all of mm-hmm. the distrust that, that there is out there. Um, We've shown that the people really do not trust the government agency to do this. And I, what I want to know is why we still need them. <laughs> I don't. But you never get mm-hmm. rid of the agencies, right? No, you no. just add more. Mm-hmm. We just, need an agency that helps the CDC run better. That's what we need. <laughs> it has more lives than a horror character. You know, it's just, <laughs> I said, it's, you can't kill these things. They grow a new limb and so you just keep coming back. Yeah. Um, so while we're talking about this, this uh, civics fundamentals uh, thing that's going on right now, why don't you tell everyone about that? Today is September 17th, Constitution Day, and we are in the midst of launching, should be available later tonight, I'm putting my IT guy on the spot there, (laughs) Uh, a website called civicsfundamentals.org. And Judge Douglas Ginsburg, who I mentioned earlier, who uh, hosted our three-hour series on the Constitution, has taken the 100 questions for U.S. citizenship, and he's uh, created two-minute videos that answer why each question is important, why you should know this stuff. Even the people studying for the test for immigration, uh, for citizenship, uh, they only need to memorize the answers. Yeah, you know, so they, they don't even get that concept still of why do we have these questions? Why is it set up like this? And that's what the judge tried to go out and do was was address that. So now we have what I believe is the only video based study guide for immigrants studying for the exam to really understand the why, and a turnkey civics lesson that teachers can plug straight into the classroom. Now, we're already U.S. citizens, so we don't need to watch any of it, right? It's just not important. You'd be surprised that, uh, I was going to say, and, and the number of U.S. citizens who cannot pass this test, uh, you know, s- surveys and studies show it's about two-thirds, and it's worse if you're younger. Mm. People, you know, 70 and above used to take a civics class. They could actually pass the test. So on the website, how it's designed is, if you go to the website, everybody is a student to start with. 
you have to take the test. <laughs> so we give them a 10-question test, which is what, uh, if you're going to take the citizenship exam, you have to pass six out of 10 questions. So we give them a 10-question test. Once you've taken the test, it auto-grades, and then you have access to the entire site. So if you're Nate and Charlie, and you can pass you know, with, a, with a resounding scores of, of 70 and 80, <laughs> respectively. I'm sure. Uh, you know, you might say, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll go watch those two or three videos on the questions I didn't know. Uh, if you're a teacher, though, you might assign 20 or 30 of the videos to your students so that they can go through it and, and cover what you want to cover in civics class. You know what we need to do? Do you have, uh, we can cut or whatever we need to do. We, do you have access to the questions? Yes. Okay. You need to ask us those questions. That's what you need to do. See how we do. Those 10 questions. Oh, so what we actually did was we created, uh, we have five different test banks. Oh, okay. So, uh, we don't have time for that. Yeah, exactly. So as I said, so we, we uh, and, you know, because some of the questions, and, and I want to say this, you know, in, in the videos, it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean are actually questions on the thing because we want to know geography, mm -hmm. right? So as I said, the, you know, geography is actually part of this and Americans are pretty ignorant on geography, but it's tough to make those really good, relevant videos. So, All right, ask me one question I wouldn't get. Um, I'll see if I can get it. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I'd have to have them in front of me, Charlie. And I, I say that sincerely because we, uh, after watching a hundred videos a, a few different times for editing purposes, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, they start to blur. That's yeah. what I was saying. We need to find some of those questions and see, how, see how we do on those. Cause mm -hmm. I bet you it's not going to go as well as we hope. And actually key, we should do a whole podcast we where should. we just the answer key, the questions. by the way, is, is, um, and so we actually, uh, uh, designed the answer. So it's multiple choice. It's the only way you can do an auto graded test. When you do the citizenship test, it's actually an oral exam and you have to give the answer. Okay. Um, so that's even more difficult than having a multiple choice test, but we specifically created multiple choice answers that we know would be, you know, really confusing. So one was, uh, sincerely, you know, what is the, you know, the war between the North and the South was what war? And you guys would probably get this, but you know, if you put in the war of 1812, if you put in, then people don't know what the answer is. All these other ones are relevantly good, wrong answers. Yeah. World War One. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My, uh, I because just, baseball, they're world champions yeah, in uh, exactly. the MLB. It's That's world what I champions. remember, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's what we learned in seventh grade, for right. sure. Mm -hmm. um, my wife and I were taking a little quiz for the, for the citizenship thing the other day just to see if we knew any. And one of them, you know, I don't know if questions like this are important, but it was just asking how many amendments are there in the Constitution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I... I said like 32, something like that. I don't, I don't know. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, 28, it's 27, 27, I think 27, 27, 27. Yeah. Ah, I only know that because I had to answer the question right. a few days ago. I didn't yeah. know it before. And, and as I said, those are tough questions. And we tried to steer away from those as being the questions that we were asking. And I want to say, you know, this, the, the more trivial types of things there um, and really got into the, you know, what, what two branches of government that those things that they really should know at the same time, as I said, you know, yeah, how many amendments are there? And the concept of 27, because, you know, wrong answers that we have in there are like 68. You know, mm. that people don't know how many times. Really, it has not been amended that many times. And there's a reason it's difficult to amend it. So, good, good. As it should good. be. Uh -huh. um, yeah. I, I, uh, one thing I was going to see... I was gonna, man, I thought I had a question I was going to ask you that I was going to stump you on the Constitution, but you probably know all of the answers, don't you? Except for which amendment it was that made the senators elected by popular As I vote. said, I couldn't give you the numbers, that's no. for sure, but I, no. I, I certainly know what the amendments are. Charlie, let's try and think of one that we could that we stump could try and stump Trump. someone Here on. It is now, but so. what's really important is you were saying that's not so much of how many amendments are there, but you... I assume you guys are going more into the why. Why do we do this? And that was the point. So when we answer that question that there are 27 amendments, as I said, the, the answer to our question is 27, but here's why it's so difficult to amend. So yeah. you're showing your work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and what we see now is uh, when you just go through and you say, oh, I remember, yeah, there's 27. I had to remember mm -hmm. that. There's yeah. 27. Now I passed the answer on the, on the quiz, so we're good. We have a really big problem right now with people not knowing why we have the Constitution or why we have these, why our mm -hmm. government's set up the way it is. Everything's kind of, it feels like it's breaking down right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if it's going to continue like this, but there's things like the judicial branch where they talk about packing courts or they talk about it being so partisan. And, uh, and a lot of people right now, I think, are just starting to write off the way that our government's even set up, which is a scary thing. And it, again, it goes back to that basic misunderstanding of what government, how the system was set up. Because if people think that the judicial branch is just another legislative branch, because it's a bunch of activist judges who say, well, 
the law says this, but it really should say this. It really means this mm-hmm. here. Well, it should say what it means. Yeah. I, I, we were just reading the, uh, an article the other day, or I was reading one. I, I don't know if it made it on the podcast, but uh, they were talking about the new law in Texas, and we won't talk about whether or not that's good or bad or constitutional, but uh, essentially what they said in this article, it was left-leaning, and they said Texas's blatantly unconstitutional law, according to justices... Uh, Kagan and uh, Sotomayor, and and so they just named two justices that said that it wasn't constitutional, mm-hmm. and said this is blatantly unconstitutional law. And what they're doing is they're picking the two more left leaning justices, and then they're saying, well, this is blatantly unconstitutional according to two very mm-hmm. left leaning. It doesn't doesn't matter that a bunch of the other ones said that that everything was okay. And actually, that's not exactly what they had ruled on that on that law in the first place. Yeah. Um, but we're like I said, this breaking down of the the trust in our systems, our processes, this can lead to more power really for the executive branch. We keep seeing that the agencies, the president, uh, the legislators are, are just delegating all of their powers because they don't want to say anything. They don't want to do anything bad because they might lose an election. You know, they're not experts. That's why they have to delegate it. That's Mm -hmm. actually the reason for the agencies and the agencies making the administrative laws because as a legislator, maybe we have to pass the bill to find out what's in it Mm -hmm. as a famous statement was once said there, but uh, we don't even know what's in it afterwards because we're just going to delegate it to the experts after that and then and then you know i i'm glad we came back to this because this is the question i had earlier which is uh you know we we we've one of the reasons we fought the revolutionary war was no taxation without representation right and now we have a slew of regulations that act as laws that aren't voted on and debated and passed by representatives that we voted in these are lifelong bureaucrats that spend 20 30 40 50 years in government (laughs) And uh, can outlast any administration. They outlast <laughs> all the administrations, and they consistently uh, write regulations that, if you violate them, uh, typically you're fined, and if you don't pay your fines, you go to jail. So it's it's basically they call it a regulation, but it's no different than uh, how a law would work. And and um, make sure that, you tell them the rest of the story, though, which is, is so they've made the regulation, then they decide whether they're going to enforce it. So they're now the executive branch, and then they decide what your punishment is. So they're the, the uh, judicial branch. Yes. All, all wrapped up in one. And so the, the executive branch really becomes the legislative branch also, which is, which is really the problem. Is there anything we could do? Well, they become all three. They mm-hmm. become all yeah. of them. Um, is there anything we could do to make sure that these, uh, that all of these agencies have to switch out their people? Or we're going to have to give them terms? Like well, but we hang on. But not only that, they also take away your rights because you don't go to a regular court of law. You go to an administrative court most mm-hmm. of the time or a regulatory mm-hmm. court where you don't have the same, uh, really, you don't have the same type of protections. Uh, that you would yeah the environmental protection agency writes the law and determines if you have violated the law and determines what your punishment is for that i don't like i don't like that system it's not a very good system actually (laughs) i uh, i and and your question though is a good question because i think this goes back to um and just as kavanaugh was a, a big opponent of the administrative estate uh, and, and I think that's the one thing there is, is that the, the judicial branch is going to have to be the ones that are going to start striking down administrative law. Um, and I, I don't, of course, that means that somebody's going to have to bring some case up that gets all the way up to the Supreme Court so that they can just uh, decide and determine a case like that. But I, that's really going to be the only area where we're going to see the shrinkage of the administrative state. Uh, yeah, he I, was a proponent of it, or he was. Uh, yeah, I was going to say a big, big advocate of reducing of the reducing, size of okay. the administrative state. I, I have no doubt that this new regulation through OSHA with the vaccines is going to make it up to the Supreme mm-hmm. Court eventually, and so that that'll be interesting to see because a lot of people are saying that there's precedent on the mandating the vaccines, but the uh, the case they're pointing to doesn't exactly say that OSHA can mandate vaccines on people. Uh, it says that a state could do it, and I believe the guy who wouldn't do it just ended up paying a fine, and and then everything was okay. So it's not exactly great precedent for mm-hmm. what for what's going on right now. Well, then we had the CDC continuing on eviction moratoriums, mm-hmm. and, and then the Supreme Court decided not to take up the case in July because they were like, well, it's about to end. And then they extended it, and so the Supreme Court finally was like, yeah, you can't do this. And, and there's where, and again, it's all, I'll use Kavanaugh there. What a mistake that guy made there, oh, which huge. essentially was his, hey, listen, since this is going to end, 
we shouldn't even have to worry about ruling on this. No, you should rule on this now yeah. and say it's incorrect. They've already extended it twice. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what's going to stop them from extending it a third time? They did actually end it now, but that mm-hmm. I believe that made our dumb bleep of the week episode because him saying that, oh, well, since they're going to take this away in a month, then mm-hmm. it's fine. I think it's unconstitutional. Now he's sitting on the legislative branch again. As <laughs> yeah. I said, you know, the one guy who says, I'm going to help, you know, break down this concept of the administrative state now decides he's going to be a legislator. Uh, um, so is education the the best way that we can get out of this? Is there any way other than educating young people and educating the populace on, on the Constitution and the why behind the Constitution that we could actually get out of this? That has to be the start. And again, if you look at what the big divide is in this country, it's not between Democrats, Republicans, rural, urban, et cetera. It's really people do not have an understanding of the basic principles of what it means to be an American. And this is that we are self-governing instruments of ourselves. We, we, we are out there. Uh, you know, Nobody is telling the three of us what to do right now. We interact with each other voluntarily. And that is the whole American system. And that constitutional government was set up essentially to say, government, you can't do A, B, and C. And within the last 80 years or so, it's been flipped on its head where now people, as I said, are just looking to the government for an answer. Yeah, we, we've got, like you were saying, it's not really a difference between re- Republican and Democrat. It's, we would call it statism mm-hmm. coercion right. between people who actually want to be free. And I, I unfortunately think that there's a pretty small portion of the population that wants to be completely free and have all, <laughs> because they're That's still responsibility, okay. That's you know? a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. and you're still scared about things. When you get people scared, they, then they, they tend to want to feel better. And of course the government can fix everything. So that's the, that's the best way it to does do it, it on a weekly basis from what I've seen. So. Yeah. They, they're always the best at solving problems. Like mm-hmm. when you have a problem, you want the U S government. That's exactly where I go. I usually, I start right at motor vehicles. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I try to do local first, you know, so. yeah. <laughs> that's the best thing to do. You go Shop local <laughs> shop, shop at your local government that's what you need to do um and so it's the civicsfundamentals.org right for that for that yes. website mm-hmm. make sure we get the s in there after yes. a civic because I, I messed it up two plurals yeah oh, civics we were, fundamentals we were just talking about my honda civic i had for a while and so that's what it was this, uh-huh. the civic thing was just sticking out of my mind so that is going to be operational. Yes. By the time people listen to this. When they're listening to this podcast there, they should be able to go to that. If they can't, they can return the next day. I know nobody likes doing that, but <laughs> as I said, website should be up, functional. Uh, it will make improvements upon it, as I said, as we continue along there. But it was important for us, as I said, today was sort of a nice day where we would like to say, this is if people wanted to know about the Constitution. And what we did, by the way, we, we took a lot of the footage from that three-hour PBS series, A More or Less Perfect Union, and we repurposed it for this but uh what was one of the few things we could actually film during the pandemic nice judge ginsburg obviously has access to his chambers so he <laughs> says you guys can come once again uh, the volunteerism is, is a wonderful thing and uh, uh if i don't say this enough by the way judge douglas ginsburg nicest guy in the world that man has volunteered so much time he cannot get paid a dime for any of his efforts because he's a federal judge this is the equivalent to shooting an almost four-hour film Mm. And as mm. I said, he uh, did that all during the pandemic and uh, on five different trips to Washington, D.C. Wonderful, wonderful person. And where where is he out of? Like a- uh, uh, see, he is uh, U.S. District Court of Appeals, D.C. Circuit. Okay. Okay. I just want to want to look that want to look mm-hmm. that guy up. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a pretty good dude. It's like it's like the uh, um, it's the court. I don't want to say below the Supreme Court, but because it's the uh, the D.C. Circuit, essentially they'll get national cases there instead of local cases. Okay. Um, now and it's the appeals yes. court. So mm-hmm. he's yeah. Uh, we talked last time about corporate welfare. We talked a little bit about it, but I had a question. We had a question from a from a listener. Okay, and they were asking me because I I went on this thing about the vaccine mandates, and then I went on a thing about vaccine exemptions because of whatever your religion was. And I was talking about that probably in a way that didn't really show what my, uh, what my real ideas on, uh, on that were. But so if you're going to mandate the vaccines and then we, the government seems to be letting people out of it because of their religions. And so we're protected in the constitution that it lists religion in there. And they likened that to my stance on corporate welfare, which is that uh, I think that taxation is is theft. I also think that it's wrong to mandate medications on people. 
And I, I was okay with corporations getting out of taxes if they could, because I want everyone to do it. And that also, I think the way I was saying it, I wasn't saying it like I was okay with religious people getting out of the vaccine. But I, but I am. I'm just upset that the government only recognizes one. They recognize one thing and they say that, uh, well, you have extra rights that other people don't have because of this. But is there any correlation? Is, there, is it a, a good analogy between letting people out for religious exemptions with the vaccine mandate versus letting corporations out of taxes uh, because of their status? And that uh, two things that we don't like and a certain portion of the population sometimes is able to get out of it because of what their status is. And so would you, would you say that you're okay with the religious exemptions out of the mandates that all of us might end up having on us someday, uh, but then not okay with some corporations being able to get out of taxation? Possibly the most deeply philosophical question anyone <laughs> has ever asked on the corporate <laughs> welfare film. Uh, I, my initial reaction is the same as yours. I, I think everyone should be exempt with regards to the, the vaccination side over there. Much the same way as I said that, you know, I, I, I don't support corporate welfare in any of its forms. I'm with you guys. I don't want people to, to, to pay taxes. I mean, we're going to pay something. We already know that, by the way. But the, uh, uh, that, that concept that one group of people should be exempted because of a particular status, if you will. I, I, I've never bought into that concept. Yeah, I, I would compromise. Like if we want to talk about reality, I, my compromise would be, well, let's all just pay the same rate then. Like I like the flat tax idea. Like it's 10%. Mm -hmm. Everyone pays 10%. Uh, all corporations pay 10%. All people pay 10%. Everyone just pays 10%. You know, yeah. pay 10% to Jesus, pay 10% to Caesar. <laughs> okay. You know, so, so I, I could get behind that idea of fair. I think that would be the step in the right direction. That's not, that's not where my liberty train ends, though. Like I, I, yeah. I want because I think you know all right, so, zero. So after the religious exemption, where else do you go with that vaccine exemption? Because there's got to be certain other, you know, certain classes of groups, et cetera. So, mm -hmm. and then and then you're right back to you know Nate being a you know Chinese bisexual. That's his exemption. Yeah, he's, he's uh, Japan, well, think, Japanese. Uh, okay, we think yeah, get it get it right. I'm, Japanese. I'm uh, I'm offended. Um, <laughs> No, what, uh, I really think that we shouldn't separate people out because of what their religion is, unless you want to consider liberty as a religion. If we want to start the Church of Liberty, mm -hmm. I think that that would be a pretty good idea. I think that's a yeah. that's a good one. Um, send in your donations. Yes, yeah. please send in your donations to our nonprofit Church of Liberty. Um, the only thing I would say to argue against myself is when it comes to the corporate welfare, the argument is when they get out of the taxes, then other people end up having to pay yeah. more, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if that aligns properly with my vaccine mandate idea, unless it leads to more people getting sick or something. I don't well, know. Well, because, you know, this really is a crisis where we have to protect the vaccinated. Mm. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the issue. Yeah. <laughs> if only there were a vaccine, vaccine for that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be, that would be, uh, that'd be incredible. I, what, the, the ter they've been such terrible salesmen of the vaccine, mm -hmm. by the way. Yeah. Like, because uh, first it started with you know, well, if Donald Trump's going to ram this through, you know, it's not going to be good because he's doing it for political purposes. And then, well, and you had a bunch of prominent Democrats like Kamala Harris and uh, all kinds of others being like, yeah, there's no way we're getting that vaccine. And then suddenly the Democrats are in power and the vaccine is the greatest thing in the world. It's only Republicans down south that aren't taking the vaccine. And mm -hmm. therefore, it's a political issue. Again, I still haven't got this. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. And they're doing the they in the same speech that Biden gave. It was the vaccines are going to save everyone, which there there are great numbers on reducing the risk of death yes. and mm -hmm. uh, being being very symptomatic and severe illness, of course. That's some of the numbers that you really can't argue with. Uh, yeah. By the way, mm -hmm. you see the numbers in the hospitals. Obviously, it, the vaccine is it, helping it, people. It, and I bought into this, by the way, and, and sincerely, because at least I knew that they were creating a, unlike, I don't get the flu shot, because that's just like, uh, you know, hey, our best guess is it might be one of these six things. We're going to put them all in your body. I don't, I don't need that. This was specifically created to help prevent, you know, well, guess what? It didn't prevent it. Mm-hmm. But still, as you said, there's there's a benefit to having the vaccine, which is, you know, the you don't die. We yeah. did our own experiment between Nate and I, mm -hmm. and uh, it seems that I ended up on the better end of the... Now, I mean, we're both still here and look At fine Freedom now. Fest, where Rob yeah. gave us COVID, by the that's, way. That's, <laughs> what, that's what happened. As we were around Rob, he was mm -hmm. being coughing all over everyone, refused mm -hmm. to wear a mask, mm -hmm. and, got, mm -hmm. and got us sick. 
both of us won well, that. For the record, by the way, yeah, so somebody had it there. I didn't get it. My daughter didn't either. So yeah. either we've had it before and don't know it, or uh, we just have the incredible immune systems we that did, you get by living in Maine. We did like 16 interviews, so it could have yeah. been could have been a lot of people. could have been anyone. Glad I, I did early in the week. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it must have been, Ruben. yeah. That's, it. That's who it was. He got Seems it. like the likely. Um, you know, you mentioned maybe we had it before. What do you mean by that? What would that change? I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that like community. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's funny. I was going to say I, I I haven't had the chicken pox vaccine either because <laughs> I had chicken pox when I was a kid. And again, I'm not recommending everybody go out and get COVID. Mm-hmm. It's not not the funniest thing to go out and get. But the uh, yeah, that concept of natural immunity. Uh, as I said, because I travel so much for work, there's a great likelihood that I I had contracted it at some point. Um, and may have been one of those asymptomatic people, et cetera. But going back to Freedom Fest, did, were you there for the first night when Jeff Spears did his comedy skit? Yes. Oh, yeah. He I, was actually sitting not too far away. Oh, that's from right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right there. Yeah. I saw mm-hmm. you walk in. We hadn't met you in person before. Right. Mm-hmm. And I saw you walk in. I was like, I know that guy. They didn't realize I was just as tall as Charlie. That yeah, was, that's, that was the guy. that's what so it was. Tall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You walked in, and there was just this aura around you when you walked in, mm-hmm. and yeah. and of course, just people lined up the, on the, all sides. The posse on that all follows sides. me around, yeah. you know, following like, me around. That guy yeah. looks really important yeah. right there. Not even there. my daughter yeah. was following me around. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's who it was. Well, this was Jeff Spears' recommendation, yeah. not mine. This was Jeff Spears' recommendation yeah. at Freedom Fest where he said, that COVID is so bad, he recommends that you go home and kill your whole family. So they don't spread it. You that's know, why that's they don't get it. They, they, they don't spread it. They don't spread mm-hmm. it. And that's how dangerous this it's, thing it's actually is. It's got 100% is. efficacy, by the way. If you yeah. do that. You're not going to yeah. get COVID after that. Death right. mm-hmm. does have 100% efficacy against COVID. <laughs> it mm-hmm. does. Isn't it annoying that when you said uh, natural immunity is a real thing, that you also had to say, now, I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out there and get COVID. It seems weird that we have to say that, that you don't need to get the thing that you're trying to protect yourself against to be protected against that thing. Yeah. Uh, but you kind of have to today. It's like if you're like, oh, yeah, cool, you got a gun. Now, don't go out there and shoot anyone with it. You know, <laughs> that's like, no, that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't shoot yourself with the gun, <laughs> yeah. please. Um, that's some people are more responsible than others. You know, <laughs> yeah. Nate, we have to put warning labels on everything. Though, I know. OK, I know. all right. So two, two things nobody will sell me as a motorcycle and an automatic weapon. You know, yeah. <laughs> somebody's dying in either case. <laughs> That's very, very like, dangerous. Did you see the, the, uh, everybody knows about the hot coffee, but did you see the case with the guy, the RV and cruise control? Oh yeah. 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 So, I mean, you have to, you got to explain, you have to explain everything. That was like right after cruise control came out, he just set the cruise and then just went back into the RV to make himself a super hot coffee, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And, uh, and just, Went off the road. I don't know if he's okay. I hope he's okay. I don't know. What I bet happened on your case. parachute line, there's a warning label that says "Don't cut when deployed." Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that way you know that okay, after I deploy it, I can't cut my parachute. Otherwise, I'll probably die. That, yeah. You, you gotta, have to explain that. Got to put those warning labels on exactly. stuff for sure. So um, I w- I want to say I know everyone's heard this before, but uh, free to choose was one of these things that really helped my progression into libertarianism. And uh, so it, it has really continued to be an honor to know you and have you on the show now. I think four times we've had you on the episodes on the show. We did two calls, one at Freedom Fest, and now this is the fourth one, yeah. and you're the f- first person here in our in our studio. And uh, this is a real honor, by the way. I, I mean that, by the way. Stopped on to see you guys in the home turf and and in the new digs. Yeah. In the great words of Chick Fil A, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, what else? You know, what's the next progression of Free to Choose? Do you think? I mean. It, is there anyone, I know we've asked you this before, but who's the next Milton Freeman, Thomas Sowell that we need to be watching? Because I think that's what people need to see. What we do is we look back on history and we'll say like, oh, well, that's just those old guys back in the 50s and 60s talking. Things are different now. That's not what's happening right now. A lot of times things are a little bit different now. It's gotten worse. I don't know if Milton Friedman really imagined all the creative ways the government would come up with to mess everything up. But we've got to get some new Milton Freemans and and Walter Williams out there. And in, in the, the difficult part there is there's a lot of intelligent people uh, that aren't salesmen. And mm-hmm. Milton was a salesman. Mm-hmm. And he, he knew he was a salesman. He knew he was a good communicator. He knew he was a great debater. And uh, I, I think that you're, I say you, because, I mean, we're always on the outlook for that kind of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and I would also argue that one problem we've seen, not only just with government and their creative ways, but uh, journalism has become a lot less objective than what it used to be in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. 
Uh, you could just, if you look back almost on through a timeline, you just see it getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And now you have like essentially uh, Fox news and, and you know, whatever versus MSNBC. And, and it's like, there is no uh, Nate and I cover stories all the time where it's like, they'll just literally print or say anything mm-hmm. without verifying it. They don't get two sources. They don't care. It'll get shared a million times. Cause and speed, then speed to uh, and then know, first just, to market is key. You're like, oh, sorry, we messed that up, and, yeah. and they'll change it. They'll just edit the article afterwards yeah, right. when everyone's mm-hmm. done reading it. And, then, yeah. and likewise, Winston Smith comes in and, and does, <laughs> does his thing. So economists and scientists have become kind of the same way, not quite as objective as they mm-hmm. as they used to be, or at least my vision of how they used to be objective. Uh, I mm-hmm. guess I don't know if they always were. You're supposed to try to. The Milton Friedman concept was: is you know, can you verify that it is true or false? Like I can't. You can't verify is there God or is there not a God? It's mm-hmm. just you know, not in this lifetime in our our world, if you will. But you know that you know, can you can you verify that something is false? And yeah. so that was. Uh, but the uh, most people start today with the opinion. And then go out and try to find something that supports the opinion. The uh, the the major news television uh, stories that you were talking about there, they know they're entertainment. That's not news anymore. It's just pure entertainment. Mm-hmm. But it is weird that you have to go to, for example, a Fox News just to find out what the Biden administration is doing wrong because the other channel won't report on it. They're still going to report on whatever the Republicans are doing wrong. So if you wanted to find out what each side's doing wrong, at least you can get some kind of news there. But my entertainment is flipping back and forth between the two <laughs> to see how different, see how is. different they are. Yeah. And it's just hysterical. Yeah, it's it, absolutely hysterical. One, uh, I'll make this recommendation on the podcast. My favorite economist right now is a guy named uh, Anthony Davies. I don't know if you've uh, heard of him before, but uh, a professor of economics at uh, Duquesne University. We had him on the show at Freedom Fest. Uh, he was there uh, with fee.org. And uh, that guy, he combines the data and the objective truth with some you got to sprinkle in a little bit of personal story emotions in there and that's what a lot of people don't get is if you just get up there and read economic data to someone they're not it just doesn't really catch them the way that someone like milton friedman did Mm -hmm. you know milton was really he was really really good at getting down to the the personal story side of things and the emotional argument also. Yeah, and remember that Tom Sowell, Milton Friedman, and Walter Williams, they all started off what I'll call left of center or worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think having that transformative experience is what made them so good. So when people are looking for, oh, who's that next rising star, if you will, uh, uh, Walter Williams told me they don't exist yet because they got to make that transformation still. If you're you're looking for that 22-year-old, 23-year-old, you got to find them when they're 40 and 45 after they've had that that experience. So what's, uh, we we got the civicsfoundations.org. Fundamentals. Civics Fundamentals. You're going to have to buy that URL too. I'm going to have to buy a lot of URLs. (laughs) Civics fundamentals. See, this is why we're doing this. So everybody gets it right. Two plurals. Two plurals. That way you remember. You're like, oh man, Charlie said it wrong. Now I know. Mm -hmm. Civicsfundamentals.org. And then you just had, you know, you're you're still doing screenings for the corporate welfare video. Um, I hear you're going to get, you're you're making a TikTok soon. (laughs) I've been persuaded uh, on the, uh, uh, this office actually, that I think we're going to do something on TikTok. Nice. Uh And so we got the, younger kids involved you know those gen zers mm-hmm. um and then so what's uh what's what are you looking forward to like what's next uh you guys are doing an amazing nice job with all this education so so joan norberg who did the was the host for the corporate welfare film uh, uh we're gonna start a new web series with joan norberg we used to have one called dead wrong which people liked it was entertaining and it was joan you know essentially busting myths but people you know got on our case for like he can't be that much of a know-it-all you know, and, and Joan's not, as I said, he's just, you know, in, in it, you know, so we, we're going to relaunch a new series with Joan and it's called Joan Norberg's new and improved. And people are wondering, is it Joan Norberg that's new and improved or is that what the topic is and where they're going to have to tune in to find out. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to take a look at uh, innovations and how the systems have essentially led to improvement in humanity in, in, in humankind. So he's one of the best at making that argument, making that case. Mm-hmm. He's the one that has the book progress, right? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Charlie read that book and then he told me about that book and it's something that people don't think about is the case that we don't make for capitalism, which he makes really well, is how much better off everyone is, even if our system mm-hmm. isn't perfect right now. 
I would still take this over a lot of the other systems around the world. I mean, you know, it used to be plunder and murder was how you got yeah, ahead. You yeah. know, this is kind of you know yeah. the, the concept that you can actually serve man and, and do something nice for somebody and get ahead. It's it's an amazing concept. Well, and so this brings me always to what I love so much about psychology, because it, I think a lot of our problems stem from we're so attuned to negative emotion that uh, things affect us so much. We have these feelings, right? Uh, and we think with those feelings, if you actually look uh, biologically and physiologically, uh, biologically, physiologically, and psychologically, um, it, you, you, your thoughts come from those uh, feelings. And so then that's kind of how you make your decisions. And it's very difficult to get out to the decision branch of your brain, the logical, rational part. And that's what I love so much about psychology is because we're so tuned to a negative emotion, like, okay, well, how does this affect me? I feel strongly about this. And therefore I'm going to make this decision without being able to rationally uh, think about that. And so uh, th this type of, of education and getting people to have feelings, I think that's what also made Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell and these people good with the personal stories and that you're getting people to understand the why you're getting them to have those personal feelings and those thoughts, which lead to actions, um, in, in that sort of direction. So, um, I, I think we've, we're so attuned to the negative emotion. We've lost the gratitude for what we've built. I mean, it's not perfect. I know that, but my God, take a look around, uh, Jordan Peterson, a psychologist. I really like that. A lot of people think is alt right, which is weird, but <laughs> um, you know, he talks about it. It's just amazing that we all don't walk outside and everything's on fire and yeah. burning to the mm -hmm. ground. Like, it, it, well, that's just because of the for, government fire departments. I mean, if somebody would, you know, because what you're getting at is the, uh, uh, and I call it, you know, it's, it's greed versus envy. And I've said mm -hmm. this one to, to many people there. If you, if you think, you know, capitalism is all about greed, well, then socialism is all about envy. Because for every new billionaire, how many millions of people actually got lifted out of poverty? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because that person became a billionaire because they created some value that was uh, helping people get ahead. No, it's because they don't understand that that wealth was created. It wasn't stolen from people. And yeah. so mm -hmm. when they see the billionaire, they think mm -hmm. that means that they took all of that from all of the people, not right. that they created new wealth there's there, there's not not a single person that has to shop at amazon yeah you know there's nobody ever going to force you to shop at amazon so i'm happy for uh, jeff bezos for uh, especially over the last couple of years mm -hmm. i mean we we were able to when things were locked down to still order things that we needed online mm -hmm. and i have yet to see a single leftist give any gratitude for the fact that amazon existed during right. that time i've yet to see a single leftist that was out there handing out their supply of toilet paper also because <laughs> it was for the what, best of the community and what other people don't think about it, it's not just amazon that you that amazon exists and that you can order things from Amazon. It's everything else that Amazon inspired as well that helped out during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, Walmart's offering two-day free shipping. Tar so is Target. All these other ideas that uh, were spun off of Amazon because Amazon was having so much success and so all this competition comes in. And, and it's like, it, this is how this this type of thing just explodes and no one, no one realizes that uh, it was literally this idea uh, and capitalism allowed it to foster and it spurred all of this stuff that literally uh, probably helped save thousands of lives during a pandemic. That reminds me of this great film called Corporate Welfare. Where's the Outrage <laughs> ah, by the Freedom Shoes Network? Yeah. Because we have a segment in there about trucking deregulation. You couldn't have Amazon today if you still had regulated trucking. Mm. That, Would we have that, Amazon if they wouldn't have got their corporate tax fair breaks? <laughs> <laughs> their corporate mm, tax, yeah. their tax breaks? The, I don't uh, know. Well, would Amazon exist? The, uh, he, um, that's a great question, by the way, because uh, in terms of yeah, how they have navigated the tax code, and again, as I said, that's another great example there. Where I'm, I'm with you, by the way. Here's the flat tax. Just pay it. Yeah. But one mm -hmm. thing I do, you know, one thing that they've done, and it's different from when they move into a city and they give them the, no taxes for a while, but being able to carry over losses and investments, I don't think is the worst thing in the world because if you're gonna if you're gonna take people's money based on what they made, then you also need to count what they lost in, in previous years. And they're not telling you if if Amazon went ten years without making money, they didn't exactly go to the government and said, okay, here's how much money I lost. So you guys owe me twenty five percent of that or fifteen percent of it, whatever it's going to be. Uh, what they're able to do is they're able to carry that over towards when they do start making money. And so what what I do hope that happens is that doesn't get called corporate welfare also, uh, that it's it's only the times where this business right here had to pay a tax this year and this one, they were let out of it because uh, they knew the right people. 
And that's a, those are very different things. And a lot of times people have been saying, well, they paid zero in taxes. And most of that's been carryover from previous years with the, with previous investments and losses that they had. Now, I think those are ending. I think they used up most of them. And that's why they're starting to pay for their workers' college tuition because they need the expenses. <laughs> they, need, they need a write-off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I just wanted to make that, that distinction that if they're going to take a portion of what you're making, we also need to count a portion of the losses and allow that to be written off. You know, because as a person, you can't survive on a loss, if you will. And mm-hmm. That is a distinction between corporations and people, if, yeah. if, if ever there was one. Yeah. I mean, I just keep taking out credit cards all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. And then when those come due, you just mm-hmm. get more credit cards to, to put that on. That's what I learned. Shouldn't we and, subsidize that, Tony? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. We should. Yeah. Uh-huh. We should be able to take. Take money. Your loss. From, that's your loss <laughs> that you're running up on the credit. We should just subsidize that. But don't we subsidize people who don't make enough money? <laughs> we like, do. Mm-hmm. So if, if I'm a corporation and I lose money, I just, I don't pay any taxes, but the government's not going to give me a refund check. But if I'm an individual and I don't make enough money or I lose money, let's say, well, then I also get a refund. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially if I have plenty of kids. Human welfare. <laughs> human welfare. <laughs> I don't think that making a documentary to end human welfare would go quite as well as trying to <laughs> we, end We actually welfare. tried that one, by the way. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it's called Work and Happiness, about how people get trapped in the system, though. Yeah. And, and it's uh, it, the what they lose is dignity from work. Oh, yeah. Because I said, you know, it's that classic, once I get above a certain level, I make this much here, I lose my benefits, if you will. Yeah. Well, you know, you're supposed to lose the benefits. How do you encourage somebody to, to get up the ladder, if you will? Milton tried that concept of the, uh, you know, earned income credit, if you will. And that was sort of like that basis of if you're going to have universal basic income. I think we've all seen how that worked out, though, during the pandemic, when you give my 15-year-old daughter, $600 a week as an extra benefit for being unemployed from her job at the cafe. Not exactly a lot of incentive to go back not, to work. Not a lot that. of incentive for that young child. And yeah. you honestly, as a as an individual, because I know people who have done this too, if I were in that exact same spot where, where I was making more money unemployed than I was employed, mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend that you go back to work until that until that's ended. The problem, of course, is that people don't get that domino effect of what happens in the economy then. Because if I can make just as much money on my universal basic income sitting at home, the concept was, oh, because this will give you the opportunity to go out and take risks, to go out and do things. Uh, but no, they played video games. Yeah. Or in the case of my daughter, bought a horse. I bought guess a horse. She at least stimulated the economy. A subsidized horse. Yes, there's a subsidized <laughs> government horse. Not the right first now. and it won't be the last. I, mm. I guarantee you that. Mm. Uh, and they still can't find people right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have to tell you, I am. We're hiring, by the way. What? Uh, okay. in, in finding people, it, it is, I said, and we were uh, joking almost like, well, do I want to hire the person who's been on unemployment for the last year? Mm-hmm. That's probably not going to have the same shared set of values that I have also. Yeah. But. You're pulling from a very small portion of the population mm-hmm. that you have yeah. to find that also wants to work because they've got to be uh, fairly aligned with the principles and also be willing to work. You, usually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's one, uh, one last thing here that you mentioned that they don't get that dignity of work. And it reminded me, uh, we were riding here earlier and we saw a sign for the lottery and we were like, oh, hey, that's almost high enough that I recommend that I'd actually put some money into that. <laughs> but what I was thinking, I was actually that's thinking That's a voluntary tax. Yeah, that one I've never yeah. minded. But. I was actually thinking about that um, uh, uh, last week or so. It's always fun to think about the lottery. And I remember thinking that I just wouldn't find the same fulfillment in that. I wouldn't find it. Okay, I would get, I would be okay with it. That's fine. You give me a couple hundred million dollars. That's fine. But I want to make that myself. Like I would have rather made that myself than just have it given to me. And a lot of people don't know what that feels like, even if it's a minimum wage, even if it's a low wage. I think that there's a, a meaning that comes from when you're working, which is what you're, what you're doing is you're providing value to other people. And so when you provide value to other people, then you end up feeling better. You get some, some dignity, some meaning, some fulfillment in that. You have a purpose. And welfare really takes that away from people. Yeah. So that, that is one of the really, uh, hopefully, unintended consequences that we can get away from sometimes. As I said, and I don't know how that's really going to, uh, in terms of the work ethic of people, what's what's going to happen from the pandemic. I think it's going to be a, a very much a shift. As I said, there was already a shift with regards to some remote working, um, you know, the, the, the new generation coming up saying, hey, why do we have to work 40 hours a week just because our parents work 40 hours a week? Well, here's the job. If pay me what you want, what you want me to do for that job, if you will. And in some ways, I like that because now they're thinking like entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Hey, what am I really working for? I'm really working to provide you with a value and get something back from it so I can do this stuff I really want to do. Mm-hmm. 
And if they can't, if you can find the way to provide the exact same amount of value in less than 40 hours, then that is some innovation. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's, that's efficiency. A, exactly. That is what we've done over time. We get more things done in mm -hmm. the same or shorter amount of time. And uh, so, yeah, that's a nice positive way of looking at that. Right. So I said, you hope that that's how that carries through as opposed to, no, just give me my check. Yeah. I haven't had a lot of luck with uh, hoping uh, for the bright side of things recently, but I should get better at that probably. Well, it's, it has a lot to do with personality. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just, uh, remember that negative emotion? Thing yeah, yeah. You were talking about? yeah. Yeah. That does happen. Well, Rob, thank you very much for your time today. And uh, I think we need to grab some lunch, uh, something like that I, on the I, schedule. I think so. As I said, that's my sponsorship here for the there Good Morning go. Liberty podcast is <laughs> your lunch, lunch is on me today. of the so. podcast. You, not not yeah. even on my company. Lunch is just on me today. So, All right. As always, Rob, we appreciate you doing the show with us and uh, great to have you in town. Uh, hopefully you're back in Nashville soon and... I don't know when we'll be in Maine, but if we ever are, <laughs> we'll then, set up uh, the studio. Trust me. Then, then we'll, we'll come out. We'll for bring sure. our guitars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we'll eat some lobster. Mm -hmm. All right. My man. mom had a friend from Maine. That's all she said was lobster. Yeah. Civicsfundamentals.org. Yes. I got it that time. Happy, happy constitution day. <laughs>